As I'll explain uh, shortly, some background is needed to get the full impact of what's going on in this chapter. But the story itself is fairly self-contained, not hard to understand. Uh, So I'm just going to read it through, and you should be able to follow it quite well. So, Jeremiah 36. In the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Take a scroll and write on it all the words I have spoken to you concerning Israel, Judah, and all the other nations from the time I began speaking to you in the reign of Josiah till now. Perhaps when the people of Judah hear about every disaster I plan to inflict on them, each of them will turn from his wicked way. Then I will forgive their wickedness and their sin. So Jeremiah called Baruch, son of Neriah, and while Jeremiah dictated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them down on the scroll. Then Jeremiah told Baruch, I am restricted, I cannot go to the Lord's temple. So you go to the house of the Lord on a day of fasting and read to the people from the scroll the words of the Lord that you wrote as I dictated. Read them to all the people of Judah who come in from their towns. Perhaps they will bring their petition before the Lord and each will turn from his wicked ways. For the anger and wrath pronounced against this people by the Lord are great. Baruch son of Neriah did everything Jeremiah the prophet told him to do. At the Lord's temple, he read the words of the Lord from the scroll. In the ninth month of the fifth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah, a time of fasting before the Lord was proclaimed for all the people in Jerusalem and those who had come from the towns of Judah. From the room of Gemariah, son of Shaphan, the secretary, which was in the upper courtyard of the, uh, at the entrance of the new gate of the temple, Baruch read to all the people at the Lord's temple the words of Jeremiah from the scroll. When Micaiah, son of Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, heard all the words of the Lord from the scroll, he went down to the secretary's room in the royal palace where the officials were sitting. Elishama, the secretary, Deliah, son of Shemaiah, Elnathan, son of Akbor, Gemariah, son of Shaphan, Zedekiah, son of Hananiah, and all the other officials. After Micaiah told them everything he had heard Baruch read to the people from the scroll, all the officials sent Jehudi, son of Nethaniah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Cushi, to say to Baruch, Bring the scroll from which you have read to the people and come. So, Baruch, son of Neriah, went to them with the scroll in his hand. And they said to him, Sit down, please, and read it to us. So Baruch read it to them. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, We must report all these words to the king. Then they asked Baruch, Tell us, how did you come to write all this? Did Jeremiah dictate it? Yes, Baruch replied. He dictated all these words to me and I wrote them in ink on the scroll. Then the official said to Baruch, You and Jeremiah, go and hide. Don't let anyone know where you are. After they put the scroll in the room of Elishama the secretary, they went to the king in the courtyard and reported everything to him. The king sent Jehudi to get the scroll, and Jehudi brought it from the room of Elishama the secretary and read it to the king and all the officials standing beside him. It was the ninth month, and the king was sitting in the winter apartment with a a fire burning in the brazier in front of him. Whenever Jehudi had read three or four columns of the scroll, the king cut them off with a scribe's knife 
and threw them into the brazier until the entire scroll was burned in the fire. The king and all his attendants who heard all these words showed no fear, nor did they tear their clothes. Even though Elnathan, Deliah and Gemariah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. Instead, the king commanded Jeremiel, a son of the king, Seriah, son of Azrael, and Shelemiah, son of Abdeel, to arrest Baruch the scribe and Jeremiah the prophet. But the Lord had hidden them. After the king burned the scroll containing the words that Baruch had written at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the words that were on the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, burned up. Also tell Jehoiakim, king of Judah, this is what the Lord says. You burned that scroll and said, why did you write on it that the king of Babylon would certainly come and destroy this land and cut off both men and animals from it? Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe, Baruch, son of Neriah. And, as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. This is God. I want to begin by telling a parable. And if you want a title for this, so that you can uh, refer back to it over Sunday lunch, I'm being optimistic, uh, you can call it the parable of the two tickets. One day, two businessmen were having lunch together. After paying the bill, they shook hands, parted company, and returned to their cars. But both both of them were horrified to discover parking tickets stuck to the windscreens of their cars. The first businessman, I'll call him Joe, immediately said to himself, it's a fair cop. Uh, I thought I'd get away with leaving the car on a single yellow while I had my lunch, but I was wrong. Joe was obviously not well versed in the ways of Edinburgh traffic wardens. (laughs) But he carefully removed the ticket and uh, read the instructions, somewhat relieved to see the offer of a reduced fine if paid within 14 days, He sent off a cheque the next day with a clear conscience. The second businessman, I'll call him Jack, didn't react in quite the same way. The moment he saw the ticket, he flew into a rage, called down curses on the local council, ripped the ticket from the windscreen and tore it into tiny pieces before jumping into his car and speeding off with a screech of rubber. Unfortunately for Jack... He hadn't noticed the traffic warden standing across the road with pencil and notepad in hand. Now I ask you, which of these two was a wise man and which was a foolish man? Foolish though he was, Jack's response to the parking ticket does not begin to compare with King Jehoiakim's response to the word of God, which we've just read about in Jeremiah 36. 
But to understand just how incredibly foolish this king of Judah was, I need to take just a few minutes to explain some important background. If you've uh, been a Christian for any length of time and you've studied the Bible for a while, you'll be aware that uh, even though the 66 books of the Bible were written by many different people over a period of thousands of years, these books are closely interrelated so that what is written later often uh, refers back, either explicitly or implicitly, to what was written earlier. And that's why it's important to try to be familiar with the whole of the Bible, because often you can only understand one passage when you're aware of what is said in other passages. Jeremiah 36 is a case in point. In order to fully understand the significance of this story, we need to be aware of some of the history of the nation of Judah and its rulers. Now, if you know your Old Testament history, you'll recall that after the death of King Solomon, David's son, Israel was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. The northern kingdom quickly went downhill, as it was ruled by a succession of wicked kings who turned away from the true God and led their nation in the worship of pagan idols and committed many other depraved practices. Inevitably, God's judgment came. In 721 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel was invaded by the Assyrians and its people carted off into exile. The southern kingdom also went downhill, but not quite so quickly and so consistently. All of the kings of Judah were direct blood descendants of King David, but very few of them displayed David's spiritual character and faithfulness. The book of Chronicles in the Old Testament records the succession of rulers, and for most of them it gives this damning verdict. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But there were some striking exceptions. Perhaps the most striking was King Josiah, who was one of the last kings of Judah before the nation was overcome by the Babylonians. Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh, who had ruled Judah for 55 years, had been a particularly wicked king. So bad that he even sacrificed some of his own children to pagan gods. And Manasseh's son, Ammon, was a chip off the old block. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord as well. Mercifully, he died after just two years on the throne. And so by the time Josiah comes to power, the nation of Judah was steeped in idolatry and moral depravity. But Josiah bucked the trend set by his predecessors. In 2 Chronicles 34, we read, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. Josiah reversed the religious policies of his father and he began to purge the country of its idols and its pagan altars. What's more, he ordered that the temple of the Lord should be repaired. That magnificent temple built by Solomon in Jerusalem which had fallen into ruin. However, something quite unexpected turned up at this time. As the workmen began clearing things out of the temple... The high priest, a man called Hilkiah, came across an old book that obviously hadn't been read for decades. This book 
is described as the book of the law of the Lord that had been given through Moses. Now, it's most likely that this book of the law was a copy of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible. And in Deuteronomy, what we find is Moses exhorting the Israelites to keep God's laws and to remain faithful to him as they prepare to enter the promised land. That's what it contained. So, Hilkiah the priest takes this book and shows it to the king's secretary, a man called Shaphan, who immediately takes it to King Josiah and reads it to him. The king's response to this impromptu Bible reading is profound. When the king heard the words of the law, he tore his robes. That was an ancient sign of shame and contrition and fear. And he gave this order to Shaphan and to his other officials, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the remnant in Israel and Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord. They have not acted in accordance with all that is written in this book. In response, God sends a message to Josiah. He tells Josiah that because of Judah's persistent idolatry and unrepentant wickedness, he's going to bring down on them all of the terrible curses that Moses warned about in this book of the law. But devastating though this disaster would be, God's message also has some good news for Josiah. Because your heart was responsive, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard what he spoke against this place and its people, and because you humbled yourself before me and tore your robes and wept in my presence, I have heard you, declares the Lord. Now I will gather you to your fathers and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I am going to bring on this place and on those who live here. So Josiah pressed on with his reforms. He reaffirmed the covenant that God had made with Moses and with the people of Israel and God stayed true to his word. Now I've taken some time to summarise this important background story and uh, you'll see in just a moment why it's so relevant. So then, back to our main passage this morning, Jeremiah 36. Follow along with me in the text. I hope you've got your Bible still open. The year is now 605 BC and Jehoiakim, the second son of Josiah, is now ruling as the king of Judah. His predecessor and older brother, Jehoahaz, had only been on the throne three months before he rubbed the Egyptian king up the wrong way and Pharaoh Necho probably had him carted off to Egypt in chains. His brother Jehoiakim was then installed as a puppet ruler under Egyptian control. Now, what was Jehoiakim like as a king? Well, given Judah's past record, it's really no surprise to find these words written about him. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And in Jeremiah 36, we learn just what a wicked and foolish king he was. But the central character in this story, in Jeremiah 36, is not Jehoiakim, nor is it Jeremiah. The central character is the Word of God. And Jehoiakim's role is to give us an object lesson and how not to treat God's Word. 
So look with me at the text as we see the word of God first received, verses 1 to 19, then rejected, verses 20 to 26, and finally restored, verses 27 to 32. We often take it for granted just how wonderful it is that God chooses to speak to us. He chooses to speak to us to uh, reveal himself, to express his great love and care for us, and sometimes to warn us against self-destructive attitudes and behaviour. It is a tremendous blessing to receive the word of God. And in these verses, we get an overview of God's plan for us to receive his word. How does God intend for us to receive his word? Well, the process begins with writing. With writing. The writing down of God's word as scripture. And that's exactly what the Bible is. It's God's word written down. First, God speaks here directly to his uh, prophet, Jeremiah. We're not told exactly how this happened, whether it was in a dream or in a vision or by an an internal voice or an external voice. We don't know. But by some means, God communicates his word to his prophet, Jeremiah. And that word in this case is a warning message for the people of Judah. God tells them about every disaster I plan to inflict on them because of their wicked ways. Verse 3. And we've heard in previous messages, and we don't need to go over it again, just what devastating forms that disaster would take. Not just for Judah, but for all the nations who rebel against God. Yet it's not a message of pure judgment. It's also a message of opportunity and mercy. By giving this word, God is also giving his people a chance to turn around and to avert this disaster. We see that in verses 3 and 7. If God didn't care about them, he wouldn't warn them. He would keep silent and then disaster would fall without any warning. But that's not the way that God works. It's true, absolutely true, that he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He must punish, he must judge it. And yet at the same time, he doesn't delight in punishing the wicked. And so we need to understand here that whenever God's word warns us, whenever we have a warning from God's word, that's not only a message about his judgment, it's also a message about his mercy. When God speaks this way, he's giving us an opportunity to turn back to him. An opportunity not to be missed. So the word of God comes to Jeremiah. But it can't remain in in Jeremiah's head. There's no use to anyone there. And yet it appears that Jeremiah himself has been forbidden by the king to preach in public. That seems to be the implication of what's said in verse 5. And so what Jeremiah does is he gets one of his faithful assistants, a man called Baruch, to write down the message and read it to the people on a day when they're all gathered together at the temple. Some scholars actually suspect that it was this man, Baruch, who put together the book of Jeremiah in much the form that we have it today. They suspect that that's who it was who put together the book of Jeremiah. How fortunate we are that God arranged for his word to be written down so that we can receive it today and benefit from it thousands of years after it was first given. Well, after the writing of God's word comes the hearing 
of God's word, the hearing. Did you notice that the scroll containing God's message is read aloud three times in this story? First, Baruch reads it to all the people who had gathered in Jerusalem for the fast. Verse 10. Then one of those present at this public reading, a man called Micaiah, realises just how important this message is, and so he runs to tell the royal officials, who had been sort of the civil servants of the day, and they tell Baruch to bring the scroll and read it to them. They want to hear it for themselves. Verse 15. These officials also recognise the importance of the message, and they report it to King Jehoiakim, who sends one of his servants to get the scroll and read it to him. Verse 21. So three times the scroll is read out loud. We need God's word to be written down for us. But that written word also has to be heard. Without the hearing, it's effectively useless. And this passage impresses upon us, among other things, the importance of public reading and consideration of God's word. And that's precisely why in this church, as in many other churches, the public reading and preaching of God's word is given such a a central place. God's word has been written down in order to be heard. However, there has to be more than the writing and the hearing of God's word. What we also see in this story is the fearing of God's word. We're not told how the people of Judah responded to the first reading of the scroll and that's perhaps because uh, there wasn't much response apart from this one man, Micaiah. But the second reading of the scroll brings a very clear response. Verse 16. When they heard all these words, they looked at each other in fear and said to Baruch, we must report these these words to the king. God's word can bring, around, bring about a, a range of emotions in those who are receptive to it. Sometimes we experience joy, sometimes relief, sometimes peace, sometimes comfort, sometimes encouragement, sometimes enlightenment. But there are occasions when the only proper response is fear. There are times when God's word says to us, what you are doing is wrong and you know it. Don't imagine that I don't see it. Don't think for a moment that I can ignore it. If you don't turn away from this sin and turn back to me, you will reap the consequences and bring disaster on yourself and others. Have you ever experienced fear? Hearing God's word? If not, you may be less spiritually sensitive than you think you are. Perhaps you aren't really hearing it at all. But if you have experienced fear when hearing God's word, remember that his word is not only a message of warning, but also a message of opportunity and mercy. And maybe, I don't know, but maybe you've experienced God speaking to you in this way in recent days. You hear God's word and it makes you uncomfortable. It upsets you. If so, this is an opportunity. Don't miss it. Now is the time to receive God's word as he intends you to receive it. Finally, God's word, or receiving God's word, also involves sharing God's word. Micaiah understood the implications of this message 
And he knew he couldn't keep it to himself. The officials also understood the implications of the message and they knew they couldn't keep it to themselves. They heard God's word and they feared God's word so they had to share God's word. And the same principle, of course, applies today. Once we've heard God's word, once we've responded to God's promises to us and to his warnings to us, we should realise how wrong it would be not to share God's word. So let me ask, when was the last time that you shared God's word with someone who needed to hear it as much as you did? I've asked myself the same question this week. If we're not sharing God's word, then we're not rightly receiving God's word. God's plan for receiving his word involves writing, hearing, fearing, and sharing. When the word of God is received in the right way, God's blessings follow. But sadly, that's not always how people respond. Often God's word is rejected rather than received. And in verses 20 to 26, which record the response of King Jehoiakim, we have a particularly foolish and tragic case of rejecting God's word. This uh, scroll containing God's message through Jeremiah has finally made its way to the palace. It's a chilly December day and the king is trying to keep warm by the fire And as the divine prophecy is read out to him, Jehoiakim calmly, methodically, and with utter disregard for God's word, cuts strips from the scroll with a paper knife and tosses them into the fire. As one commentator puts it, the king enacts an early form of document shredding. Well now, here's the relevance of all that background earlier about King Josiah. From the details of this story, it's clear that we're supposed to compare Jehoiakim with his father, Josiah. For example, one detail in this story. The man who had read the book of the law to Josiah was Shaphan, Shaphan the secretary. Did you remember that? And here we read that Gemariah, the son of Shaphan, is among those who bring the scroll to Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah. Father reads to father, son reads to son. But what a stark contrast there is between Josiah and Jehoiakim, between father and son. Both of them had the word of God read aloud to them. Josiah, we're told, listened to the word of God and was responsive. He showed fear as he recognised God's anger at the wickedness of the people. He tore his clothes in shame and contrition. And as a result, he was spared the disaster that God would bring upon the nation. Jehoiakim, however, did not listen to the word of God. He was coldly unresponsive. We're told that he showed no fear and he didn't tear his clothes. And as a result, he suffered disaster an even worse fate than the one he had just been warned about. If only Jehoiakim had been more like his father and less like his grandfather and great-grandfather. You know, there's a principle here for those of us who have parents. I think that's most of us. 
You don't automatically inherit the spiritual character of your parents, whether that be good or bad. Just because your father or mother was a godly person does not mean that you are or will be a godly person. But the reverse is also true. And perhaps someone here needs to hear that encouragement this morning. Just because your father or mother was an ungodly person doesn't mean that you're doomed to follow the same path. Think of Josiah. Each of us stands before God according to our own thoughts and deeds. The important question is not how did your father and mother respond to God's word? The important question is how do you respond to God's word? Jehoiakim certainly wasn't the last person in history to take a knife to scripture. In the second century AD, a bishop called Marcion decided to remove the parts of the Bible he didn't like, and that included the whole of the Old Testament and quite a bit of the New Testament. When he was done, there wasn't a whole lot of Bible left. But what goes around comes around. Now there's not a whole lot of Marcion left. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of the United States, took a similar approach. He produced uh, what was later called the Jefferson Bible, which removed all the supernatural elements from the New Testament, leaving little more than the ethical teachings of Jesus. There were no miracles and no gospel of salvation by grace when he was done. And in our day, we see the publication of uh, politically correct versions of the Bible with the supposedly homophobic and sexist passages rewritten or ditched altogether. So we find versions where God is referred to as father-mother and Jesus is no longer the son of man but the complete person. However, before we perhaps chuckle too smugly at this, let's be honest. We all do the same thing only less blatantly. All of us can be Jehoiakims rather than Josiahs. Every time that we hear or read a part of the Bible that makes us uncomfortable, a command that we don't want to obey, a rebuke that convicts us, and we just dismiss it, and we carry on as if we'd never heard it, every time we do that, we might as well have taken a pair of scissors and cut it right out of the Bible. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Snip, snip, snip. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. You cannot serve both God and money. Snip, snip, snip. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Snip, snip, snip. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Forgive each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Snip, snip, snip. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Snip, snip, snip. I don't need to go on. You'll have your own examples, just as I have mine. But every time we do that, we are rejecting God's word rather than receiving it. We're children of Jehoiakim rather than children of Josiah. Well, we've seen God's word received and then rejected in this passage. 
Now in verses 27 to 32, we see it restored. You have to wonder, don't you, what was going on in Jehoiakim's mind that winter's day as he burned those bits of scroll. His response is almost laughable. Did he really think that by destroying the scroll that would nullify the prophecy that was written on it? One commentator, Warren Wearsby, puts the point quite nicely. He writes, Any king who thinks he can silence God with a knife and a fire has a very high opinion of himself and a very low opinion of God. You cannot get rid of God's word like that any more than you can get rid of a parking violation by tearing up the ticket. The ticket can easily be replaced. And so, of course, can the scroll. And that's exactly what happened. God's response to this rejection of his word is twofold. First, the scroll, the written form of God's word, is reproduced, written again. In fact, not only is it reproduced, it is extended. Verse 32. So Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to the scribe, Baruch, son of Neriah. And as Jeremiah dictated, Baruch wrote on it all the words of the scroll that Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in, in the fire. And many similar words were added to them. The ease with which God's word was restored made Jehoiakim's actions look very foolish. But his embarrassment was the least of his problems now. Because the judgment of God, which the scroll had warned about, was not only reaffirmed, like the scroll, it was also extended. In fact, the words added to that scroll almost certainly included these words from verses 30 and 31. Therefore, this is what the Lord says about Jehoiakim, king of Judah. He will have no one to sit on the throne of David. His body will be thrown out and exposed to the heat by day and the frost by night. I will punish him and his children and his attendants for their wickedness. I will bring on them and those living in Jerusalem and the people of Judah every disaster I pronounced against them because they have not listened. There's a double irony here. In Jeremiah's scroll, God had warned Jehoiakim of his coming judgment on the nation of Judah. If the king had only led his people to repent, the judgment could have been averted. But by arrogantly rejecting God's word, Jehoiakim ended up bringing even greater judgment down on his own head. And the second irony is this. Jehoiakim was able to destroy that first scroll. But in the end, his own dead body was thrown out like rubbish and destroyed by the elements. He's long gone. But we still have the words of that scroll, God's word, in our hands today. God always, always has the last word. Six hundred years after the events described in Jeremiah 36, there was another case of the word of God being received, rejected and restored. But it was even more significant in its implications because this time the word of God wasn't just written on a scroll. It was embodied in a person. And that person was Jesus Christ, God's own son. In the first chapter of John's Gospel, Jesus is referred to as the Word, the Word of God. 
Because he is God's message of salvation, sent to us in person. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. Jesus was God's Word, written not on a a roll of parchment, but in flesh and blood. As the eternal Son of God, who took on a human nature, Jesus was literally God speaking to us. But as in Jeremiah's day, this word of God encountered different responses. John tells us that some people received Jesus. And by receiving him, they not only escaped God's judgment for their sin, they also gained the greatest blessing imaginable. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Incredible. Children of God. It doesn't get any better than that. But not everyone received him. Tragically, many rejected him. And they rejected him by not receiving him. Jesus didn't leave room for any third option. And like Jeremiah, all those centuries before, Jesus had a grave warning for those who rejected the word of God. He said, As for the person who hears my words, but does not keep them, I do not judge them, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me, and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Many of those who heard the warning didn't heed the warning. And some of them were so arrogant and spiritually blind that they weren't content just to ignore the word of God. Like Jehoiakim, they wanted to destroy the word of God. And so they took Jesus, stripped him, flogged him, and nailed him to a cross to die. And they thought they dealt with him. But they didn't get the last word. They were no more successful than Jehoiakim in silencing the voice of God. Because three days later, the word of God was restored when Jesus was raised from the dead in glory. And then he sent out his disciples to every nation of the world to proclaim his words of salvation for all who receive him and put their trust in him. And John's Gospel tells us that Jesus predicted this All this in advance when he spoke to those who rejected him early on. He said to them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. The temple he had spoken of was his body, and after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. But those who had rejected him, and tried to destroy him, were shown to be fools who brought even greater judgment on themselves instead of embracing that opportunity to turn back to God. And so I close with a question, which is very simple and very predictable. What is your response to the word of God? What is your response to the written word of God, the Bible? Are you receiving it? Or are you rejecting it? 
And what is your response to the word of God in person? Jesus Christ. Have you received him? Or have you rejected him? Let's pray.